I love driving fast. It's just, well, I, I ruined my car cleaning it. Ooh. So cleaning your car was a good thing. Um, well, my cleaning and your cleaning are probably different. So how many are? There's ten of us. If you imagine it like a house and that there's many rooms inside me. It's fascinating. As if. You don't like her, do you? Go on, admit it. You hate me. I'm not cut out for the whole falling in love thing. The idea of exchanging body fluids with someone, it just, it just, it, it, uh, seems impossible. When you stop measuring and calculating and just live, then you can love. To love, you have to be spontaneous. And one simple act of spontaneity, it can change everything. That's the trailer for the brilliant new Australian film, What If It Works? Hello, and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name's Matthew Eels. Every now and then an Australian film comes along that gives me such a buzz that I just want to run out into the middle of a busy street and scream to everyone that they must see it. What If It Works is one of those films. It's also a genuine awards contender, with two top performances from its leads, Anna Sampson and Luke Ford not to mention the film's director, Romy Trower. In this episode, Romy and I discuss working with two of Australia's best actors, directing some scenes from her hospital bed after a serious surgery, and finally screening the film to Australian audiences at the Gold Coast Film Festival this month. Anyway, enjoy. Uh, Romy Trower, thank you very much for uh, joining the Cinema Australia podcast. I really appreciate it. Awesome, thanks for having me. So tell us a bit about the film. What's it about? So it's a love story, um, a comedy drama, and it's about Adrian, who is a tech nerd, um, a very chirpy tech nerd, and he crashes into his new neighbour, Grace, who is a street artist, um, and um, Adrian has OCD, and Grace, the street artist, has multiple personality disorder, also known as dissociative identity disorder. And a colourful, impossible love story ensues. So Luke's character is uh, based on your brother, right? Um, yes. I mean, to... Uh, to a large extent, um, yes, I would say. Um, my brother has a severe case of OCD. Um, it, all, all of the OCD that you see in the film is not exactly the same as what my brother has, but I certainly had a lifetime of, of learning about it um, that um, helped me inform um, Luke's character. So, Did your brother uh, help to develop uh, Adrian and how Luke plays him physically in the film? Um, look, Luke, I think, um, came up with his own interpretation um, reading the script and I, I didn't write the character to um, to be exactly like my brother. I really didn't. I think, um, I think that there are um, my understanding of OCD um, that I've gained um, having a brother with OCD uh, definitely informed the character and my brother is an incredibly chirpy, uh, funny, um, happy person, despite his his really um, debilitating illness. And I think 
Um, the character of Adrian is like that too. He's um, he's very chirpy and he's very bright, um, and um, that's definitely so. I guess the personality is something that comes through in Adrian, which is similar to my brother's personality. But in terms of the physicalization, um, I, I Luke Luke had his own interpretation, and then I think he did meet my brother. Um, and they spent several hours, you know, chatting and, and, and having lunch together. And I think he picked up certain things here and there, but, um, yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely whatever Luke as a method actor soaked up, um, a from meeting my brother and B from, um, from what he read on the page. So was it a surprise to you when, so for the listeners who haven't actually seen the film, uh, Luke's character pretty much walks around the entire film with his hands in the air because he doesn't want to touch anything. And he also wears gloves. Uh, did it, it, what was your reaction when you first saw Luke come out on set with his hands in the air or had you, uh, developed this part of the character prior to him filming that first scene? I mean, I had, I had developed the body stuff with Luke to the extent um, of uh, his his body being rigid and avoiding things like people and you know um, dogs on the street and sort of touching anything really, be it a doorway that he was walking through or a table that he was going past. Um, in in Adrian's world, there are germs everywhere, basically, so um, he avoids touching everything. So that was definitely present in the script, and that was definitely something um, I talked to Luke about and. We, we talked about the fact that Adrian's so bright and chirpy and happy, yet his body is so rigid and it seems like such an odd kind of contrast, but um, that's his character. He's, he's a good-hearted character. He, he wants to be um, obliging and friendly, even though he's so trapped mm-hmm. by his OCD. So there's this kind of this stark um, contrast. And um, the hands in the air is something that... Um, I think um, I imagine to an extent, but I think in the end um, Luke's interpretation of that was uh, probably more extreme than what I had written on the page or envisaged myself. It's an incredible performance. Uh, <laughs> I think he had really sore arms basically and sore, <laughs> sore pecs for like many, many months because I'm sure he's probably said it as well, being a method actor, he was preparing for a long time and I think he tried to, you know, hold on to that sort of rigid body um, even when, when we call cut. So um, even just, you know, maintaining that through all those, um, all that, all that sh- um, shooting time is so, so incredibly difficult. So um Poor guy probably needed a masseuse, <laughs> but low-budget indie filmmaking. We didn't have a masseuse uh, on set for him, but I'm sure he needed it. Why is it that most movies uh, often make light of OCD or, or that the condition uh, often features in comedies and dramedies? Uh, why is that? Well, I guess I guess um, there's, there is so much comedy present in somebody that, that presents with these, you know, bizarre rituals and habits and, and perhaps it's also that in in many of us um, we have like little specks of OCD. We might have our little thing that we do that's a little bit strange, and we know it. You know, we uh, lock our car and 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 we walk away, and we feel compelled to go back and check. Well, did I lock the car? I don't know. Did I lock the car? And and it, you you probably know you did, but you, it's something you've got to go and, and check. Or maybe it's about you know the way you like to order your socks in your drawer or your pencils on your desk. And so I actually think that that a lot of people have something that they feel 
aware of that they know is, is a little bit of an obsession or a little bit of an anxiety. And so perhaps seeing that um, presented on screen and being able to have a laugh at it is, is somewhat of a relief to know that there there are other people out there that experience that and they experience it to a much uh, more severe degree. So therefore, maybe we can feel more comfortable with our own little moments of OCD and anxieties that we experience. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that and I just think there's a lot of scope for comedy because um, it's so, I mean, if you look at Adrian and what he does, it's so bizarre and it's so odd um, that, you know, there, there's probably two ways to look at it. And one is you can find it incredibly distressing probably and upsetting if you think about it and, and how it, you know, affects his life. But um, but there's also on the flip side of that so much comedy. So I think it's, um, I think there's really both sides to that. We make a lot of uh, dramas in Australia. Um, did you always want to start off by making a comedy? Or was the fact that there's so many dramas out there uh, uh, an inspiration in a way for you to make a comedy with this film? Um, well, I, I think that I just felt that this subject matter, for me, the way I view it, naturally lies in a space that um, that has drama and comedy present. Mm. Like, um, I look at having grown up in a in a family where mental illness was present, like, um, you know, of course there were trying times, like really, really trying times, but I felt that it was our ability to have a sense of humour about things and my, my brother's ability to have a sense of humour about it that really helped us, like, navigate through a lot of things. And, you know, within within the space of half an hour, um, something really difficult might have transpired and we, we might have been stressed out of our minds and, and upset and then you know, something else happens a minute later and suddenly you see how odd it is and how bizarre it is and we'd find ourselves suddenly laughing and that laughter is just such a great release from from the tension and I, I really do feel those that the tension and the laughter exist kind of side by side. So um, I, I guess for me I felt that this story, um, its natural place was in, was in a spot that had drama and comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to talk to you more about uh, Anna and uh, Luke, the two lead actors. Uh, Luke's arguably, you know, the best actor working in Australia today, in my opinion. I just think he's he's so good to watch on screen. Did you always have him in mind uh, for this character? Um, look, I did. Um, I, can't, I can't say that I sat down and I wrote it for him. Um, I mean, I, I wrote the script, I started writing the script so many years ago, um, but as soon as it came to uh, the discussion of casting with Tristram, um, our producer, Tristram Mile, who has also produced films like Strictly Ballroom and The Black Balloon um, that Luke was in, um, we we talked about a few names and, and, and I just said to him, you know, what about Luke? I mean, Luke um, blew my mind in his performance in The Black Balloon um, playing a, an autistic child. I thought his performance was phenomenal. And, and Tris said, well, I mean, Tris, of course, had faith in him after that incredible performance. Um, and then I went and just looked at um, some of his other roles and I thought, gee, this guy's really nailed it, like really nailed it in yeah. every single thing he did, like even where he had, you know, just a small supporting role. There wasn't a minute there that I didn't believe um, that wasn't absolutely captivating and I felt that he seemed like an actor who would throw himself in 1,000%. Yeah. Um, I knew he was a method actor and I felt that um, I felt I had faith in him and I felt that he was the right kind of person and actor for a role that was this demanding. So, 
And uh, tell us a bit about working with Anna, because she plays uh, the character with multiple personalities. Yes. And I imagine it must have been quite a challenge uh, for such a young actress and someone who only has uh, a handful of credits uh, uh, in her filmography. Um, Tell us about uh, working with Anna. Absolutely. So um, Anna's an absolute star, like um, in in terms of her talent and and the type of um, human being that she is. And she she had had a lot of experience in theatre, which I think was incredibly helpful. Um, You know, theatre can be pretty gruelling and you are often playing several characters at once in a play. So um, I think that it was obviously a very, very challenging role, but Anna is in incredibly hardworking and incredibly intelligent and and you you absolutely needed that for somebody to play a role like this and um I um have an aunt who is a psychiatrist who specializes in it's actually formally known as dissociative identity disorder but most people don't know what that means so we'll just call it multiple personality disorder because it's easier um so my aunt specializes in multiple personality disorder and she has about 30 odd patients I'd say currently that have that disorder and she's been in that area for a long time. So it's something that I've grown up with um, and have been fascinated by for a long time. I've also had access to lots of literature about it and I have had the privilege of um, being able to meet a number of um, individuals who have multiple personality disorder and I've been able to get to know them and even sit in on some therapy sessions and watch them switch from one part or, you know, personality um, to another. Wow. So I, I, I came in there obviously with a lot of access and, and, um, and uh, I, I basically was able to share that with Anna, which was fantastic. So I was able to get her together with my aunt. Um, I was able to provide her with, you know, more, more literature and more reading than she could possibly um, get through. And she just soaked it up. She loved it. Like she, she, similar to Luke, she just threw herself in a thousand percent. She read every detail. She questioned every point. Um, and when we sort of mapped out the various parts of the character, we we had like a huge map of um, of the different parts, and and you know that we we just delved into great detail about why each part existed and what they represented and how they got there. And um, she would spend time at home. Um, in you know one of the many parts that she plays, like there's a there's a child part called Little, who's a, a small child basically, and she spent time at home in that character, doing things in the kitchen that you know a five year old might do. Um, you know she she wrote down what her favourite music might be for that part, and and did that with every single one of them. So it was an amazing process watching the way she she managed that and kept track of every every single part and, and uh, every single detail. So, um, yeah, the, the rehearsal process and the, the, the research process pre-rehearsal was really crucial in getting her to, to where she was at. You're listening to the Cinema Australia podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud or at cinemaaustralia.com.au. Uh, as a director, what was your uh, which one of uh, Anna's personalities was your favourite to to watch her perform? Oh, it's so hard, um, <laughs> so hard. I I look, I think she did a, a phenomenal job all up. But I must say, what I think the part that I maybe enjoyed most was Spike, which is her 
aggressive yes. part. Yes. <laughs> it's just it's just so shocking. Like Anna is this delicate, you know, beautiful um, sort of actress and the character of Grace is sweet and, and gentle and shy and, you know, when she suddenly switched to Spike who is um, – um, just a huge and aggressive and a big sort of um, character that sort of calls it how it is and, and, and can be offensive and, and insulting but insightful at the same time. Um, she she just um, astounded me. Um, yeah, she was just the, the, the shift was just phenomenal and the fact that she could muster up that kind of aggression and, uh, and power from this little delicate body it was just so wonderful that I think um, I think perhaps I enjoyed those moments uh, the most. <laughs> um, I want to ask you about some of the challenges uh, that you experienced making the film, uh, especially in terms of your own physical health. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that? Um, so I had a little bit of a shonky back from a little gym injury I'd, I'd, I'd had years and years earlier and um but um, it was kind of managed with um, sort of exercises and whatnot. And, of course, as you're, uh, you know, making your first feature film, you probably all you, – your body's probably more tense and, and stressed than it's, than it's ever been. And it was just really bad timing. I, I um, slipped a, a disc in my back um, into my spinal cord, uh, unfortunately, eight days into our five-week shoot. Um, and, uh, I lost feeling in my leg and knew that I was in a great deal of trouble and was, um, rushed to hospital and had emergency spinal surgery where they whacked a couple of screws, titanium screws in my back. And, uh, it was a pretty big operation. So, um, in a nutshell, I went to, to see the surgeon really at the 11th hour when I was, I was sort of, I was trying to get through that first week telling myself, I'm going to take some painkillers, anti-inflams, I'm going to do this, I'm going to get through, I can do this, I can hang in there for six weeks because I knew something was majorly wrong, I was in pain. And then it got to a point where, yeah, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't feel my leg and I had to go see a surgeon. So I went sort of pre, um, pre-shooting at about 5.30 to see a, a very kind surgeon who had agreed to see me in the morning and he sort of looked at me and said, you go home and you don't get up unless the house is burning down. And I was like, no, I've got a feature film I'm making. I have to go to work. And he's like, uh, no, you have to lie down. I was like, okay, just listen to me. And my dad was there going, okay, there's a limit. And I'm like, no, like what other career do you actually say, sorry, I'm going to work. Like, no, I'm not interested in the surgery, but this is film, right? Like there's nothing more important. So I just said to him the situation. I said, like, I've got, you know, a, a film that's eight days in. If I, uh, you know, go home and recover for three to six months, I, I, I won't be able to get the team back. I, it's a low-budget film. There's just no way that I can let all this go. I've worked so hard to get to this point. I have to keep going. What can you do for me? And he just sort of said, look, it, it ordinarily would be you'd go home and you'd, you'd be lying down for months and doing five minutes of walking, six minutes of walking, etc." And then he just suggested that he could – do the operation in such a way where he would go through my stomach rather than through my back that might make it a little bit easier to get up and, and, and about. And I said to him, look, I need to get back to set. What is the absolute minimum? Like I'm thinking, you know, a few days max. And he was like, okay, look, I see that you're really determined and you're really passionate. And you know what? I'm like that about my career. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to try to get you back on set in eight days. What do you think? And I was like, my dad was like, no, and I was like, 
yes, shake my hand on this. If you can get me back in eight days, I reckon we can hold on to our actors and our locations and maybe get some insurance on this and I reckon I can do that. So we shook hands on it. I said, right, get me into that surgery. And he was like, right, tonight I'm going to operate on you tonight, which he did. Um, I spent four days in intensive care. Uh, then the following two days or three days, I think it was, he basically said, the doctor said to me, look, until you can walk around the hospital floor 30 times in a row, I can't let you go. So he said, I suggest you wear your runners in bed, don't take them off and just keep getting <laughs> walking. I said, no worries, can reach my feet. Somebody put the ASICs on. Yep, good. Um, and then I just circled that floor until I'd done enough laps for him to let me go and uh, went home for a day. I think we did some drone shots uh, that I did remotely from my bed on morphine. So God Are you knows. serious? From your bed? What this looked like it. Yeah, from from bed. We just I just remoted in and and did a few um, kind of um, colourful drone shots. Uh, it's a very hazy memory that 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 day, and then uh, and basically, yeah, I ripped off the morphine patch because I was like, okay, uh, pain relief versus like lack of clarity. I'm like, no, I've got to I've got to let go of the drugs, otherwise I might not know what I'm doing. So I ripped <laughs> off the morphine patch. That was a whole other situation without morphine, and um, and then just went back to set. And yeah, the first day back was pretty hellish, um, and luckily the team was amazing and. Um, you know, applying me with power aids when I looked like I was about to pass out and had my little stash of, you know, chocolates and Panadol in my pocket. But um, I really could only take Panadol to stay kind of clear. And mm. I will just say that I think um, it's amazing what adrenaline can do for you. Yes. Like it can get you through absolutely anything. And I think my body just called on an enormous amount of adrenaline and just I just wouldn't let go. And Somehow, you know, each day got like a, a little bit easier. It, it, it would have been, it, it would be, I would, I'm like feature filmmaking, my God, no back surgery, delight, like so easy. Um, but hopefully the next one is going to feel like that compared. So You realise that now that you've done this to your body, uh, there's no going back now. You're a, you're a feature filmmaker. Yes, yes, <laughs> I do, I do. So, I... so, so uh, what came first, your desire to act or direct? Um, I think definitely the, well, I was say the acting, but I think the storytelling thing has always been big for me. I think I was a, just a, a natural storyteller as a kid. Um, you know, things would happen, funny stories would happen like to my friends when I was really young and they'd be like, oh, hey, Romy, you tell the story. I'd be like, no, but I wasn't there. They're like, yeah, yeah, you know, you tell the story anyway. And so, so I think somehow I was I was the natural storyteller in the family and amongst my friends and um, acting was a really easy way, I think, to express that at school and, you know, jumping the school plays and, and all that sort of stuff. But as from really early on I was writing my own stuff at high school, at uni and started in theatre. I wrote a one-woman show that I um, uh, also acted in and, um and then I've always loved film and um, made a couple of short films and and I think uh, I think that once you're writing something and then even acting in it and producing it, it's it's just a natural transition to want to direct it. Once yeah, once you're writing, acting, and producing it, kind of kind of uh, makes no sense to bring somebody else in to kind of realise a vision when you are that kind of involved. So. And then I, I guess I realised that telling the story and directing the story is probably more important to me than than the acting side of it. So here I am. Oh, when when you were acting, were you always observing directors and, and the filmmakers on set and thinking, I can do this? Um, I don't 
sorry if I was thinking that uh, directly, but I think probably when I reflected back um, on on the acting, um, you know, yes, you you are observing the director and you're in that relationship all the time and you're aware of, like, what worked for you and what was great and what wasn't. And um, so, yeah, so I think um, – and I think it's also about having written the story and um, and just wanting to see it through, you know. Um, there's a lot of uh, conversations happening within the industry at the moment. And I mean, this is a, an inevitable question when you're interviewing a woman in film. Um, but what's your opinion on, on this? Uh, is it becoming more balanced for men, men and women uh, within the Australian film industry now? Or is there still an imbalance there? I mean, I think, I don't know if I'm really qualified to answer that and, and give a concrete answer. It seems to me that there still is an imbalance. Um, you still see many more feature films directed by men than by women, that's for sure. I think it's great to see some of the programs that are coming through, like the Gender Matters Initiative through Screen Australia, and I think it's great to see some of these things in the pipeline that are aiming to give women more opportunities, but I definitely think there's still there's still an imbalance and there's probably so many reasons for that. So mm. is it, is the, is the argument welcome? Should, should we be having these conversations? Uh, you know, should we be putting them out there? Um, having conversations about, about the imbalance? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we need to discuss it and think about it to work out why it's there and, and therefore how it can be addressed and what we can do um, to change things. So, I mean, it's, it's, Definitely, the imbalance is is present in Hollywood um, too. So it's um, from Hollywood down to Australia. It's I think the imbalance exists everywhere. And the more the more initiatives and programs we see to to um, to help change this, the better. Um, so I joined a group called the Film Fatales um, probably a year or so ago, um, which is founded by a New York uh, female filmmaker. Um, that is about getting female directors together who mentor one another and discuss projects and um, and uh, um, and help one another. And they also um, they also push uh, female directed films um, towards various festivals and offer assistance in that sort of area too. So I think yeah, that's that's been a really um, great group to join, and I think they're doing really good work. So. Um, That's fantastic. Yeah. So were you being uh, mentored by anyone in particular through that group? Um, for us, I think in Australia it's a, it's definitely smaller than it is in the States, but it's um, it's like a, a bunch of female filmmakers that will get together and you might set a topic for each meeting and it, it's, um, it's set by a different person each meeting. So somebody's going through, you know, a difficult writing phase in their film, they might want to set the topic about writing. If somebody's finding it hard to get funding, the, you know, the discussion might be around, you know, funding stuff. So um, it's kind of a case of, of everybody looking out um, for one another and, yeah. Great. So uh, yeah. Gold Coast Film Festival? Uh, is yes. This, is this the first the time that uh, Australian audiences will see the film? It is oh, indeed. Wow. Yes, it's our Australian premiere, so pretty excited about that. <laughs> How are you feeling about uh, about uh, people watching it here? 
Oh, so excited, so excited. So we, we had our world premiere at the CineQuest Film Festival um, over in California uh, about a month ago now, um, and that was exciting and fun and it was so great to – I went over with the film. It was so great to actually just, you know, screen the film finally for audiences and do Q&As and connect with audience members and see how they felt, and um, that was super exciting. And But that was over in the States, and to be able to actually – now screen it in Australia and um, have some family and friends come along and 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 some cast come along um, is is I think even more exciting really to show it in your home country. So I can't wait. Well, Romy, uh, congratulations on the film and uh, thank you again for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Cinema Australia podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on both iTunes and SoundCloud. For all the latest Australian film news, reviews, features and interviews, you can visit www.cinemaaustralia.com.au. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube at Cinema Australia. 